Hello Marvelites, welcome to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale January 2nd, 2019. I'm Ryan, aka Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, it's been a dog's age since I done seen you. Also, I am now Southern since I spent the last 10 days in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and Chattanooga, wow. Tennessee. Are you dressed in a long like leather frock coat and you're like throwing, you know, jacks of spades around? And you're like talking like a creep to your nice wife. <laughs> no, I am wearing all seersucker and I am drinking. <laughs> oh, a, you're the, yeah. I, I, right. I, you're that cartoon version. Precisely. Are you like making a dramatic argument in court while dabbing your forehead with a handkerchief? Well, I do declare, sir, <laughs> that she has no rights to my <laughs> shoes. I don't know what court case. I am arguing, but it sounds great. <laughs> yeah. How was your vacation? You went You went to another country. That's right. I was in London for uh, 10 days. You know, I, I when I go on a vacation like that, I, I, I just kind of like to go and act as if I live there. So like, I don't, I didn't have too many hard plans. I had a few things that I, I went and did, including seeing the Scottish play with uh, Christopher Eccleston as Macbeth, which was uh, really cool to see. Yeah. That, that sounds... Lovely. Should we should we talk about where where are you now? Oh, right. Good. Yeah. You are a professional broadcaster, <laughs> Tucker. Uh, I am at my palatial estate here in Manhattan, New York, recording on location, while you, Tucker, and evil producer Brandon are uh, doing good work by being in the office as we record this on New Year's Eve. Uh, you guys are working hard, and I'm going to try and do my best to not talk too much, so you guys can get out on time. And celebrate. <laughs> yeah, it's um, we're we're communicating via the escape or the escape. This is Tony this Stark is true, man. Yeah, Tony Stark. Yeah. Uh, he 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 put it here for us. But if y'all are just joining us for the first time, or if you're back now in this new year, we are going to talk about all the new comic books on sale this week: the print issues, the digital stuff, collections, and all the things hitting our apps. And you. Listener can pick these comic books up at your local comic book shop. Uh, you can oh, also yeah. go to the Marvel Comics app and pick up these comics. Uh, and what's always fun for Tucker and I is to get tweets or emails or messages saying like, "Hey, I started reading this book because you guys talked about it on the show, and you're right, it's so good." Because we're always right. These comics are great. <laughs> yeah, that is um, that feels really awesome. Uh, let's let's kick things off. I'm starting this week with. Champions number one, and it is my first pick of the week. It is so great to start a new run on Champions, this new beginning, fresh start, while also importing so much of what's come before. This issue is written by the great Jim Zub, who of course was writing previously on Champions. Now he's just kind of taking everything that he was doing before, pushing it into a new light, a new beginning. The art is by Stephen Cummings with colors by Marcio Meniz with Eric Arciniega and letters in production is by VCs Clayton Cowles. I've really enjoyed every single issue of Champions that Jim Zub has done. I think he is the perfect writer for this series. He has such a great understanding not only of the Champions position on the planet, kind of just as a superhero team, but he also has such an incredible understanding of them as young people. This issue is a really, really perfect, obviously, as if the number 
one didn't uh, say it enough, it is the perfect place to jump on board because not only do we see uh, the champions in action, and that includes, of course, Ms. Marvel, Spider-Man, that's Miles Morales, Sam Alexander, Brawn, Viv Vision, Ironheart, Snowguard, and Wasp, we get to see their position as a super team at large. And what this issue really felt like to me was they have a lot in common with the Avengers because they're tackling issues across the world. They're spreading out. And I want to shout out specifically Stephen Cummings has some great splash pages on here, including one a few pages in where Kamala says, champions charge, a really cool (laughs) charge there. Could that be the new kind of Avengers assemble the equivalent? I hope so. I love it. I think it's really cool. And really, as we approach the final few pages of this uh, story here, there was such an exciting reveal about the difficulties to come for this team. I won't say who, but it's a character with a long legacy of of really um, not just being trouble for in the professional capacity of superheroes, but certainly in the personal lives of superheroes, which is perfect for this series. Jim Zub, Stephen Cummings, just hitting it out of the park with their first issue here. Heck yeah. And yeah, they worked together for a long time, so it's real good to see that. I love the the additions to the roster here, from Power Man to Locust to Falcon, plus new character. Uh, there's one kid named Pinpoint, who's a boy from Delhi named Qureshi. Mm-hmm. I like what they're adding to it. And I, it was really interesting what you said about the Avengers. Like, there's similarities, but I think of also, like, I focus more on the differences. The Avengers are a team that has come together to take on threats that no single hero can fight against. Like, that's that's mm. the thing. And I think the Champions is more about, they're a team of people who want to help others and want to do good around the world and provide a sense of unity and inclusiveness for themselves and for the people they help. Absolutely. All right, up next is my first pick of the week, and it is Conan the Barbarian number oh, one. Oh, baby, Conan. I'm so excited. It is written by Jason Aaron, art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by VCs Travis Lanham, and beautiful, beautiful cover by Isad Rubik. So we announced the return of Conan to Marvel just about a year ago, and it's finally it's here. It is so good. Conan is an interesting thing, right? Like, many people probably know the movies best, but the comics... And the novels, of course, are huge, huge influences to so many people who make our comics. The original Conan the Barbarian series ran for 275 issues at Marvel. And it's interesting, the legacy, we actually have legacy numbering on this one. So it's number one, but it's also 276. Uh, Oh, awesome. Yeah, which is really neat. In the back of this issue, there's some info from Mark Basso about the history. But the beauty of Conan, like any Conan story, is that you can just dive right in. You just need to know he's a big barbarian dude. He's stronger and faster, and he's more clever than anyone expects. He likes to fight. He likes to drink. He likes to make the sweet amore. And uh, he does (laughs) all of that in this issue. Uh, here in this issue, we've got two aspects of Conan's life. The barbarian part of his life where he's fighting in the pits of Zamora, and then the aspect of him as King Conan later in life where you know he's actually conquered and, and he is the guy who 
is now telling people what to do. He's still getting his hands dirty, but he's a little bit older. He's got some aches and pains and some of those things. So it's, you know, it's interesting because Jason is a student of Conan. He has read the mm-hmm. novels since he was a kid. And, like this is what one of the things he was born to write. So he is going to town on it. And with him, you've got Mahmoud and Matt, and they are on fire with the art. It's just gorgeous, really intensely detailed and action-packed. There's tons of gore, but big, intense, explosive colors. And then there's a bonus in this issue. We have the first part of a serialized prose story called Black Starlight, which is written by John C. Hawking. And it is, it's awesome. It's also like a different part of Conan's life and time period. And I think... It's one of those things if you never grew up really reading Conan, and I didn't. I didn't read a lot of Conan when I was a kid. I knew a couple stories. Um, mm-hmm. I had no trouble just picking this up and going right to town. Awesome. I, I, I remember before before it was even announced that Conan was coming back, I remember you know being in meetings and having conversations with Mark Basso, the editor of this book. It just is such a great reminder of that everyone working on these books is as big a fan as anyone and that is also the case, I would say, with Jake Thomas, who's the editor of Deadpool. And specifically, I'm thinking of Deadpool number eight, which is written by Scotty Young with art and colors by Nick Klein and letters by Jeff Eckleberry. This is interesting. Silly Seal and Ziggy Pig. How much do you know about them? Okay. Literally, the only reason I know about them is because of your old office mate. Mr. John Cirilli, and he was telling me about the plans for Silly Seal and Ziggy Pig. Yeah, it's super interesting because John and I, John Cirilli and I, we we probably learned about them together a bunch of years ago, and we were like fascinated with these really obscure characters. Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal are talking animal characters from way back in the timely comics era of Marvel in the 40s. They didn't have a ton of appearances, but they were pretty important to early Marvel DNA because funny animal, like these cartoon comics, were such a big deal. And Mm -hmm. these were our contributions to those. Like we had Super Rabbit and Tuffy Cat and Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal. And so, you know, John had this idea. He, He came up with this story about them and his story is actually being published with Frank Thierry. The two of them are writing this that's coming really soon. So I'm very excited to see Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal actually being in comics again makes me so happy. Totally. I I feel the same exact way. And of course, though, we take like this wonderful, delightful, talking, fun animal story and Scotty takes it and twists it and puts it on its head and, you know, makes it extremely Deadpool. Basically what's going on here is Deadpool is showing up at Silly Seal World, kind of a rundown amusement park run by Silly Seal in order to kill Ziggy Pig. But what really hits home with this issue, and it's something that has been kind of percolating into Scotty's run on Deadpool, is in the middle of the issue, just you know, maybe, I don't know, five, seven pages in, we see Wade run into Ellie, his daughter. Of course, at the end of Jerry Duggan's run on Deadpool, Deadpool's mind was wiped. Much like the golden droid C-3PO, 
Sorry, I didn't have to relate that back to Star Wars, but I did. Anyway, Wade's mind was wiped, so he forgot everything that ever happened to him. It It was the perfect tragic ending to an amazing landmark run by Jerry. And so to see that imported in these ways into the new run here on Deadpool is so heartbreaking, so well done. Um, but, uh, to explore that dichotomy, explore the, uh, you know, emotional depths of this character while also maintaining such great fun is a really difficult task. And, uh, this issue for me does it better than anything we've seen so far. I really, really enjoyed it. Heck yeah. You said everything I would have said. Next up is Immortal Hulk number 11. I, I talked about this book to a bunch of friends this week who hadn't been reading comics regularly just like you gotta read this book it is the best and immortal hulk number 11 is written by al ewing with pencils by joe bennett inks by roy jose colors by paul mounts and letters by vcs Corey pettit this issue al and joe may have delivered the greatest page featuring puck in the history of comics uh puck who if you don't know he is small in stature he is bald he's got a great mustache he is a member of alpha flight he's strong he's one of wolverine's closest friends he's just this great character he's got a lot of depth to him and we don't get to see a lot of that sometimes he's more like a punchline but he's really cool and so we see puck find absorbing man and creel asks puck who he is and puck tells him and the way he tells him is just like it's just this this monologue of like I am the coolest dude in the room. I am awesome. I'm like a hundred and some odd years old. I'm a badass. I will not spoil any of it, but it makes me want to have a Puck Solo book written by this team. It's amazing. It's so good. But that's only part of the issue. We also have Hulk in Hell, seeing and battling things that are dead, reflections of his friends, his enemies, his sins. It gets real weird, real metaphysical, and continues to be incredible. Awesome. Next up, we have Infinity Wars Infinity number one. It's written by Jerry Duggan with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Andrew Hennessy, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by Corey Pettit. One thing before you dive in, if you have not read the end of Infinity Wars, this does get into some spoilers a little bit. You know, we'll do our best. But if, you know, like you can fast forward, uh, you know, a minute or two minutes to get away from any potential spoilers. Yeah, I'll keep this short. Here, you know, we know that Adam Warlock essentially set the stones free, and it's really interesting because we are kind of similar to the stones, shot off into new stories, new tales here. We start at the Texas State Penitentiary, and we follow a character named Hector Batista, who is locked up there. Uh, And we be in that story while we also are reaching into... A bunch of threads that reach out again into the cosmic end of the Marvel Universe with the the Raptors and with Talonar. They reach back all the way back to Jerry's run on Guardians of the Galaxy before uh, Infinity Countdown and then Infinity Wars. So it's all baked in here. Of course, if you didn't read any of that, it still works beautifully. We're essentially following the random chaos of the stones where they might end up whose hands they might fall into and what the effects of that might be. I just want to give a specific shout out to this one single page splash of Adam Warlock in here holding the stones. It is just gorgeous. Uh, I want a poster of this. 
It's so good. And then in the final few pages, there's another character that we've seen bounce around between a couple of books who pops in and will lead us straight into the next chapter of this Infinity Saga here, uh, moving into 2019. Heck yeah. I'm glad you talked about that splash page. Mark Bagley's a damn legend. Oh, oh my God. So good. All right. Next book, and it is my second pick of the week. It is Killmonger number three, written by Brian Hill, art and cover by Juan Ferreira, with color assist by Eduardo Ferreira, and lettering by VCs Joe Sabino. Oh my lord, this book. It's, I'm going to be honest with you, Tucker. This book is approaching Immortal Hulk levels of amazingness for me. Yeah. Like, it's so incredible. Juan Ferreira, he's on another level. Like, Oh yeah. He's doing things that are going to blow your your face off when you read this comic. It's there's a double page fight between Anjatica's crew and Bullseye. And it's got like tons of panels and a massive amount of action, but nothing feels crowded. Nothing gets lost. The emotion and mm-hmm. the fury is all there. It is something that you're going to look at, you want to like pull yourself back from it and sort of absorb it and there's a sequence in which Anjatica is talking with Fast, and mm-hmm. it's surreal and it's gorgeous. And Brian's dialogue, he nails it. He keeps coming back to these aspects of fear and anger and righteousness. I can't speak highly enough of this book. I would say this is required reading. If you haven't been reading Killmonger, this is only the third issue. I think there are only five issues because the character is is dead. So this is this is a, a story set in the past. This is something everyone should be reading. Totally. Similarly, I love the work that Jed McKay is doing here on Man Without Fear number one. Jed, of course, is having a bit of a moment over the last few weeks and, um, and maybe months. He's just been churning out some really incredible stuff, and I am a huge fan. The art on this book is brought to you by Danilo S. Beirut with colors by Andres Mosa. And letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is a really fascinating story. So essentially, this is a limited series that's taking place in the aftermath of Charles Soule's run on Daredevil. Of course, we saw in the final pages of the final issue of Charles's run, spoilers, hit that fast forward button if you haven't (laughs) finished that one yet, but um, where we see Matt Murdock die. We see his life run out. Who knows what's going to happen with that, how we're going to come out the other end. If we're going to come out the other end, who knows? But we're looking into the mind here, into the life, the legacy of Daredevil, of Matt Murdock in Man Without Fear. But what I also really love about this book is that we get a great healthy dose of Foggy Nelson, who uh, comes to visit Matt, who is like kind of in between life and death, I suppose. Um, Yeah. We get this kind of parallel story that happens then between what's going on in the room, Foggy thinking about his friend, and the kind of incredible inside-the-mind journey of what's going on with Matt Murdock, but also the dark side of, of his history and his life, the devilish end of things, everything that has kind of followed him on his journey, um, certainly a little bit of Catholic guilt built into this. And we see the things that he's dogged by, the fears, kind of hence the a bit of an ironic title to this limited series, because there is so much that he is looking back and trying to deal with, but seemingly unable to escape in so many different ways, while also 
never giving up. It is a gorgeous first issue to this limited series. I love how it ends. I think it's so cool. It's so exciting. This is a really, really great start to this limited series. And like I said, Jed McKay, he's just, this guy's hitting home runs right now. And uh, this is definitely one of them. Yes, 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 yes. Also, some people hitting home runs are working on Marvel Knights 20th, number five story by Matthew Rosenberg and Donnie Cates, script by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Nico Henricon, and colors assisted by Laurent Grossat, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This has three big throwdowns that I want to point out. Now, you got Black Panther versus a bunch of villains, uh, including Taskmaster and Tombstone and some others. Then you've got Black Panther versus Punisher, Daredevil, Hulk, Electra, so good. That one's so cool. And then you also have Kingpin versus, well, I will not spoil it. It is too dang good. Mm-hmm. I do not want to spoil that one, but it's really, really cool. We don't get just fights. We get more than that. We get a, a big, healthy dose of truth, or at least a hint of the truth uh, behind the mystery, a little bit of unraveling of what's going on. Uh, but I want to point mm-hmm. out that Nico, 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 he is so good. Oh, yeah. I, I love the way he draws everything, really. His Punisher, his Kingpin, his Hulk, they're just it's so cool looking, big and intense, and his textures. Like when you look at his art, you're just going to pay attention to the way he draws things. It just feels so interesting and so different from so much of what else we have. It's really cool. Totally. Next up, we have Marvel Superhero Adventures Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. This is, of course, a relentlessly delightful series of Marvel superhero adventures that we have. Um, And this is a great one that focuses on a bunch of different, really adorable, really wonderful, uh, great for young readers story. We have three or four, five maybe stories here. And I'll just list off uh, the creative teams. We have a Spidey story called Bad Influence, which is by Daniel Kibblesmith, Marielle Del Pinino, and Jim Campbell. Uh, We have a Spidey and Spider Friends story called Who Got Game by Kibblesmith, Ariana, Florian, and Andrew Crossley. Then we have some great, this is one of my favorite elements of these Marvel Superhero Adventures books. We have the Daily Bugle Funnies, which is like a comic strip. That's by Ty Templeton and Kieran Smith. Then we have the Misty Maze of Mysterio, which is a great, it's a maze. You just do the maze in here. It's its so much fun. And I also love that this says, no, this isn't foggy old London chappy. You're trapped in the Misty Maze of Mysterio. <laughs> really spoke to me coming off of my trip across the pond. Anyway, that is uh, written, drawn, and edited by Owen McCarran, colored by Andy Yanchis. And then we have, last story, Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse, which has art by Scotty Young. The whole thing is lettered by VCs, Caramania. These books are just so delightful, so much fun. Of course, exploring the Spider-Verse here uh, is going to be something that Young Marvelites are going to be really excited to do, especially we get a little bit of Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider on the cover. We get Miles. We have so much built in here, uh, and it's all just so much fun. Heck yeah. I also love the the comic strips, the parodies in the middle of the book, uh, and Ty does parodies of Peanuts, Doonesbury, Calvin and Hobbes, The Far Side, and Marmaduke, and they're so good. Enjoy those. All right, up next is Mr. and Mrs. X, number seven. It is written by Kelly Thompson, art by Oscar Bezeldula, and colors by Frank D'Armato with letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Look, you got Rogue and you got Gambit, and they're in the clutches of your boy Mojo. If you don't know who Mojo is, he is the lord and ruler of the Mojoverse, which is like a 
perverse dimension where the ruler is the one who controls the masses with entertainment. Uh, so he always grabs the X-Men as characters for his stories. Here, he's looking for, and I quote, hot, hot heat from Rogue and Gamut, and that's accurate. They bring it. They bring the hot, hot heat. Oscar, he just, he gives them such sweet and sexy moments throughout the way he draws them. It's one of the reasons why I've loved this book is like you are drawn into their relationship, both because Kelly is a master and she makes me care about them together so much. But Oscar, like he brings it visually to the fore. It's so cute. The looks that they give each other, they do like it is, as I said, sweet and sexy. Uh, but we also have sadistic humor of all the mojo stuff, the mystery of what's going on. And the return of a few favorite characters, especially for longtime X-Men fans. I love this book. Oh, yeah. Moving on to another uh, a family story of a different type. This is Runaways number 17. I actually can't believe that we're 17 issues deep into Rainbow and Chris's Runaways here. It is the best. Like I said, this is written by Rainbow Rowell with art by Chris Anka. Colors by Matthew Wilson and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is a really interesting issue because we've kind of been swirling around this this coming storm over recent issues. And this issue kind of straddles the line between the final calm before that storm and then the storm itself really starts to hit here. The children of the Gaborum are uh, here and they've kind of essentially set a deadline for the children of the pride. And it's really cool because knowing that this reckoning is coming, we're asked the question by Rainbow, how do you spend the night before the end of your world? It's really interesting. And we kind of examine the different ways that the runaways are going about knowing that this reckoning is coming with the children of the Gaborum. Finally, we have this moment where the team all teams up and they are ready to fight and they're ready to do everything they can. And it's so cool to see the runaways give it all they've got in this issue. And while also negotiating these character moments amongst themselves, this cover, which is by Chris Anka, is, I think... So cool, and I think it portends some really interesting things within the pages. I won't say much more than that, uh, and it's another great entry and another great element of this 100-mile-an-hour story that, you know, just at the same time feels so intimate. It's great. Yeah. Earlier, you talked about the champions having a new catchphrase. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Chase, in this issue, is playing around with a new catchphrase for the Runaways, <laughs> and it is, quote, fight like <laughs> yeah. crazy and hope we get lucky. So good. Uh, yes, you shouted out, Chris. Always amazing. Uh, I did see on social media that he is wrapping up his part of the book. He is mm -hmm. moving on to a different project soon, which breaks my damn heart. But yeah. uh, it'll still be great, and we'll see whatever else he does. Next book is Shatterstar, number four, written by Tim Seeley. Pencils by Carlos Villa with inks by Juan Velasco. Flashback art in this issue by Gerardo Sandoval and colors by Carlos Lopez. And letters by, again, your boy, VC's Corey Pettit. This one has love. It has death. It has gladiator battles. It has rambunctious talking pugs. It has sacrifice. <laughs> All of that is happening here. Plus, Shatterstar makes his move against the Grandmaster, but it goes kind of not great, I guess. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. 
I love Arado's <laughs> lines, uh, like the way he draws things and all the flashback sequences. So detailed. Like he's just got this really cool, unique, big style that uh, I really, really love. Totally. Uh, next up is my second pick of the week. It is Star Wars Age of the Republic, Obi-Wan Kenobi, number one. We've been exploring these different characters in different ways in, in these Age of Republic stories. Uh, we've seen Darth Maul's story. We've seen Qui-Gon Jinn's story. Now we are entering the realm of Obi-Wan, and it is so cool. It's written by Jody Hauser with pencils by Corey Smith and Wilton Santos, inks by Walden Wong, colors by Java Tartaglia, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. First of all, I want to say these covers have been done by one of my favorite artists, Paolo Rivera, and I want to give a specific shout-out to Paolo Rivera Hands. This guy draws hands Mm. like nobody else. I'm a huge hand fan of Paolo Rivera. That's not hand solo. That's hand as in the things at the end of arms. Uh, Anyway, this is such a cool issue because not only on the first page do we see a young Obi-Wan, a little cutesy little baby Obi-Wan who is studying at the Jedi Temple, but then we get to explore an area of Star Wars history that uh, I'm super fascinated by, which is the time between Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, and Star Wars Episode Two, Attack of the Clones, where Obi-Wan is, you know, raising, teaching an adolescent Anakin Skywalker. So it's really cool to uh, see in a story like this to see those moments uh, realized, to see exactly all the the meat and potatoes of that fascinating relationship, that fascinating and doomed relationship. They are sent on a mission and they encounter some of the like best, I love it so much, weird Star Wars character, like bird people. I love that kind of vintage Star Wars weirdness. It's the best. Jody, she gets it and you can just tell. It's interesting, as a mega Star Wars head, Ryan, uh, I have definitely been hanging outside the door of the Star Wars office occupied by Mark <laughs> Panicia and Tom Groneman, the editors of the Star Wars book. I just kind of like go and like, I don't know, pretend I lost things outside of their door until they like invite me in to talk about things and talk about Star Wars stuff. And then we just, I just go in there and like make esoteric Star Wars jokes until they tell me to leave. But I, I remember I got to read an early draft of the script for this issue, which was so much fun. And so it's really cool to be able to see what Jody has been playing with since the very earliest drafts to see the conversations that she was having with the editors, with the folks over at Lucasfilm, and to see the final version here. Uh, it is so wonderful, and uh, it's realized beautifully. Okay, so going from that Star Wars book, we now have Star Wars Han Solo Imperial Cadet number three. This is written by Robbie Thompson, friend of the show, with art by Leonard Kirk, colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This series is, of course, so delightful just because we know so much about Han Solo, one of the most iconic characters in the history of fiction. We know what makes him tick. We know what he loves. We know what he hates. And so to take all of that and encapsulate it and kind of bring it back down, pull it back to the seeds of what we know 
and be able to explore the moments of these seeds growing into what what is eventually the fully realized Han Solo is so much fun. Just the conflict of this series is inherently led by Han Solo, a guy that likes answering to no one, being forced to answer to like this heavily, you know, formalized, structured, you know, military life. Him bucking against that, them kind of, again, tamping him down. We get to see him introduce a little bit of card playing to his fellow uh, Imperial soldiers here. We get to see some great Han just making the wrong choices, getting into trouble. I think Robbie is doing just an excellent job on here on Imperial Cadet as well. And uh, yeah, it is a delightful read. So much fun. If you're a Han Solo fan, uh, I think it's about as good as it gets. I'd like to nominate Robbie Thompson for president of comics. Yep. We'll discuss that at a later date uh, <laughs> because we've got to get to our next book, which is Tony Stark Iron Man number seven, written by Dan Slott with Jeremy Whitley, art by Valerio Schitti, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, oh, and I got to shout out uh, Alex Lozano on the cover. His covers are always so cool, so... He comes from like the video game like aspects of things. It's he's so good, so so good. Yeah. Um, but this is this is the one where the controller makes this big move. Tony, he's all over it, or is he? Mm. This is that big game of chess that Dan Slott does so well. He's got Tony and his pieces, controller and his pieces. They're working against each other to try and win. And uh, I also love the visualizations of the world inside the Eastgate. There's a great nod to Burger Time, a classic video game in here, which I was like, oh, I like that. That's fun. But there's you know, also all kinds of great emotional beats in this issue from Jocasta and Machine Man to Tony's parents to the staff at Stark. Just really solid, fun Iron Man comics. Totally. Next up is Uncanny X-Men number eight. It is written by Matthew Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson, and Ed Brisson, with pencils by R.B. Silva, inks by Adriano Di Benedetto, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I really love the work that has been put into these first, the first seven issues that, that have brought us to this point, to what feels like a really crucial point in this Uncanny X-Men story. There's so much action happening all over the place in the Age of Apocalypse, in Prime Earth, everywhere there is just no end to the beautifully rendered throwdowns by RB and the art team. But what is most fascinating to me about this story is to see, and this is tricky to talk about because I don't want to spoil anything, but to see how the villains, and I'll put that in quotes, kind of the villains of this story are positioned against the heroes and to see how historical villains, and I'm thinking of, of course, Apocalypse here and specifically, are positioned in relation to the heroes and the villains of this story, uh, or what are kind of perceived as the heroes and villains of this story. I love that Ed, Kelly, and Matt have gotten us to this point where the history of the X-Men and the history of Apocalypse's relationship to the X-Men and dynamic with the X-Men has to be completely put aside and explored in a completely different way. Um, it's one of my favorite kind of dynamics in any fiction story where 
you know, there's so much history between these characters, but there is maybe something akin to a greater good at hand, at stake. It's really, really fascinating how the characters respond to that, if they agree with that, if they disagree with that. Uh, there's so much to be mined here, and it is so, so fascinating. I think there's excellent work being done across the board here, and it's really, really cool to see how this story is culminating with X-Man, with Legion, to see all these characters being positioned for uh, a kind of big oncoming assault and reckoning is so exciting. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, what's going down in Uncanny. Heck yeah. Also, I'm sure you appreciated that uh, Psylocke here, very British. It was yes. very much for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, my last book of the week is Winter Soldier number two. It was very nearly one of my picks of the week. It is written by Kyle Higgins, art by Rod Reese, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This book, oof, it opens with a messed up flashback showing a disturbing scene of the mysterious killer in the Bucky costume as a kid, this kid named RJ. I was reading this and I was like, oh man, this is good, this is good. By the end of the issue, I was like, oh man, I love this book. Rod's art, again, I talked about it last week, but is in that Sienkiewicz meets Noto way of telling the story. So good at honing in on these big details while giving massive moving action sequences and deep emotional character beats. There's like a level of realism meets scratchy surrealism that I think combines those styles so well, uh, but is all his own more and more. I think he's just like really solidifying his place so good. Rod is, is killing it here. We've got these scenes with Bucky and RJ talking that are some of my favorites, both from a dialogue standpoint, what Kyle's doing. It's just really like solidifying why Bucky is doing what he's doing, how important he is, and how much the kid like RJ needs someone like Bucky, but also just the way everything is framed up. Now you've got this big fight and there's like a dude with nunchucks. We need more nunchuck dudes in comics. I just want yeah. a guy like woo, 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 swinging him around and like, <laughs> I love it. I need more of that. Uh, there's also a great emotional core to all this. Um, you know, like with Bucky and RJ and really figuring out Bucky's place in his own life and this kid's life. Really great. Uh, the dialogue, the interactions, the intent of it all. This is excellent comic books. Oh, yeah. Wrapping up this week, we have a new number one, another one. We have Wolverine, The Long Night, number one. It is the adaptation of the smash hit podcast, Marvel's Wolverine, The Long Night. I'm such a fan of that podcast, and I am so fascinated to see how that story, you know, translates uh, onto the page. It is written by the podcast writer himself, Benjamin Percy, with art by Marcio Takara, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. It is a quintessential mystery story. It is so good. And I love specifically how some of the humor leaps off the page here. This just fits beautifully into a comic because you not only just in the similar in the same way that if you've listened to the podcast, your ear is directed in certain ways. You're kind of led down certain paths. You're taken on these twists and turns on this audio journey. Here, it's the same kind. It's the same kind of thing. Only your eye is led in different ways. We see the agents arrive in Burns, Alaska, and start to unravel this mystery, this murder mystery of what's taking over this town. We get one or two little glimpses 
at uh, the knucklehead here. I love the way that he looks in this story. I think it's so cool. It's so vintage. It just works perfectly. And uh, yeah, it is a beautifully done issue. I want to give a shout out to the editor of this story, Annalise Bisa, I think leading this incredible team and uh, shepherding this story uh, is a difficult task given how good the podcast is. Uh, and this is a great start to the comic adaptation. Heck yeah. Well, we did it. We did Those it. Those are the comics okay. out this week. I'm going to jump into the collections on sale uh, this week. We have Deadpool by Scotty Young, Volume 1, Merkin Hard for the Money. Oh, uh, we have Death of the Inhumans, a great story there. Guardians of the Galaxy, Tomorrow's Heroes, Omnibus, and Hardcover. We have Iron Fist, Phantom Limb, Scholastic Captain Marvel, Mighty Origins. Uh, real quick, Tucker, uh, Iron Fist, Phantom Limb is the Marvel Digital Originals collection. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's real creepy, really cool. Awesome. Uh, we have Scholastic Captain Marvel, Mighty Origins, Spider-Geddon, Edge of Spider-Geddon, Spider-Man, Ben Riley Omnibus, Volume 1 in hardcover, and Tony Stark, Iron Man, Volume 1, Self-Made Man. Ooh, boy. A lot of stuff really hitting Marvel Unlimited this week. A 1993 limited series featuring U.S. Agent, which is just kind of cool because... He's an interesting character, this guy who took over for Captain America, but he was just too much, Tucker. He was too <laughs> much. Uh, first issue of Multiple Man, the recent limited series, is on Marvel Unlimited this week. The first issue of Century, uh, which was really cool. I highly suggest checking out that whole series once it hits in there. Plus some Infinity Countdown stuff, Deadpool, all kinds of things in Marvel Unlimited. The whole list. We'll make sure to get linked out on our uh, Marvel.com news story and all that good stuff. That's that's it, y'all. We did it. The first episode Ooh. of 2019. Yeah. How Welcome about that? to the new year. Uh, everybody has everything they had before. It's, it's pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> uh, and yet it is not. I don't know how, but I'm just going to say that. Fair enough. All right. Great. We'll be back with another episode next week. It's going to we're just yeah, gonna keep doing we'll be in the same room. We'll be this, in the same room again for the first time in like a month. Hot dog. Can't wait. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.